Welcome to the JPR Group Podcast, brought to you by the JPR Group of Baird Private Wealth Management. We're dedicated to bringing our clients, colleagues, and centers of influence the latest in wealth strategies, ideas, and information to keep you informed and confident. Also, listen in on conversations with industry leaders and interesting people from around the country that are changing the landscape of their businesses. This is the JPR Podcast. Welcome to the JPR Podcast. Today, we are starting a two-part series called Estate Planning 101, or what are the basics to estate planning? We are fortunate to have a guest with us, Ella Neely. Ella is a estate planner with Baird. It's a unique role at an investment firm for um, a company like Baird or, or similar to have an estate planner on staff that's not doing documents for clients, but yet reviewing them on the client's behalf. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Ella. Thank you, Sean. Good to be here. Yeah, we're so excited to have you. Tell me a little bit about your story and you know, kind of how you ended up in the role that you're in. Sure. So um, I'm originally from West Tennessee and uh, decided to go to law school after college and, and went to law school up in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, and when I was a legal intern, I started interning in Hilliard Lines Trust Company with some estate planners there and really enjoyed it and decided to uh, stay on a little bit more permanently. And uh, that's really where I probably got the most of my uh, estate planning experience in leading up to becoming a full-time estate planner. Um, And then of course, with the Baird acquisition about a year and a half ago, uh, ended up coming over to Baird side of things to help with um, estate planning full-time. So that's sort of the roundabout way. And of course, last year, uh, I also moved back to Tennessee from Louisville. So I am now in Nashville or based out of Nashville and, and help with uh, estate planning in Kentucky and in Tennessee. That's great. I know we are super thankful to have you as a, we, we sort of view you as an extension of our team. So we're, oh, we're thankful for that. I think when we engage with clients, a lot of times, um, especially let's we'll kind of start with the younger client. They don't really know when to start. Like, you know, mm-hmm. when we think about estate planning, it seems like something that maybe you do just later in life. Um, so what's a, when's a good time for people to start and what are some triggers that may cue the younger listener today to, sure. to lean in a little more? Sure. So, I mean, it's always a good time to, to start estate planning. Um, even if you are younger, you know, I would not let that you know, stop you from, from putting your plan in place. Of course, it's kind of a living, breathing document. You might make changes to it over time. But it's always a good idea to have a plan in place, even if it is you know, super uncomfortable to think about. But for younger people in particular, I think probably the biggest area where their ears will start to perk up when they think about estate planning is, you know, when you have a last will and testament or revocable trust like we'll talk about, you that document lets you name a guardian for any minor children. And that's usually the impetus for many people to go ahead and put that in place is once they start having children, especially, you know, when the kids are minors, having somebody that you want to, you know, take care of that child. Uh, people have very strong feelings about it, so to speak. And that's really where uh, people will, when they're younger, start to put things into place. But then as you start to accumulate assets, you know, how would you want those assets to go to your children? So thinking about more uh, midlife, you know, how do you want assets to go to your kids? Let's say they're 18, 20, something like that. Being able to put a plan in place um, and tailor it specifically to your children can be very, very helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So if somebody 
already has documents in place, um, what is what's sort of the recommended cadence that they would review those or or make changes to to those documents? Sure. So the general rule of thumb is three to five years. But I would kind of add on to that as an extension. It's also a good idea to go back and look at those documents uh, anytime there are big life events that occur. So think about like a marriage or divorce, or maybe you relocate states because a lot of this is based in state law and that can you know, really change things. Also um, for higher net worth individuals, tax changes, tax law changes, whether it's changes to the estate tax law like we've seen over the last couple of years, or also the federal income tax laws. So those are probably the big major areas when you wanna just take a look back, see if everything still makes sense based on your objectives and you know, make any changes from there. Okay, great. I know you and I talked about this um, estate planning basics document that Baird has out and we send that out to clients a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I'd love for you to just hit on, you know, we talked about the, the basic kind of documents being the last will, revocable trust, um, power of attorney and healthcare directive. So if you could just hit on those and we'll do kind of a general review, those four basic documents for people that are out there that are just curious, like what do these words mean? And uh, you know, how do they fit in for me? Sure, absolutely. Okay, so probably the most obvious to everybody is gonna be the last will and testament. Everybody on some level has an idea of what a will does. Um, and really it's kind of a threefold thing. So the first is it allows you to name an executor, meaning someone who's going to come in and figure out what assets you have, and then also pass those assets to the people that they need to go to, in addition to some other um, administrative things. The other thing the last will and testament does is it lets you name your beneficiaries. So who are going to get those assets? And then sort of the third that also ties into that uh, second thing is, how are those people going to receive those assets? Are you going to give everything to your spouse outright? Or are you going to maybe leave it to a marital trust? Um, If you leave assets to your kids, is that going to go outright or perhaps a trust or something like that? So that's really what the last will and testament truly does. Now, the probably biggest thing to keep in mind for the last will and testament is that the assets that pass through your will are going to go through court in a process that we call probate. And some people are familiar with that. Some people aren't. Um, but what that means is that it's, it's going to go through the court process and that can create some additional expenses, some additional delays in, in allowing your beneficiaries to enjoy those assets. But one of the biggest um, issues that people don't really, or one of the biggest reasons people don't really like probate is that it's also a very public process um, because all of that is going to be a matter of public record depending on what state you're in, even the inventory, meaning the assets that are passing through could also be a matter of public record. So that means I could you know, possibly hop online and see exactly what your will says, see that everything's going to this person or that person. And then I could also maybe even see you know, what assets you actually have going and how much is going to those people. So for that reason, a lot of people like to do techniques or use vehicles that are designed to avoid probate. And one of those vehicles is the revocable trust. And the easiest way to think about a revocable trust, because a lot of people start getting a little nervous when I say that, um, but the easiest way to think about it is it basically does the same thing as your last will and testament that we just talked about those three main things, but it's doing it in this trust and it's doing it without having to go through probate. And 
you know, uses the client's social security number, which, you know, is right. always a, is always a big thing. I know like with clients and, uh, of just having to open new accounts and that sort of thing. We've been really surprised Baird allows to us to just change the titling. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's not even a new account, a new account being opened. So that's really helpful. You know, one of the things that came up recently, um, I know we always talk about the last will um, and like being able to see it and people see like who you give money to. Uh, it was also brought up that it, and I never thought about it this way, but it also sees maybe you're setting up a trust for one of your children and it, right. it, it can, it has the ability also to show, you know, how you've had to handle, you know, certain clients have to handle certain things a, a different way for, for one child over another. And there, it adds some extra visibility into that also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, you mentioned a good point too. So for income tax purposes, yes, you can use your social. Um, and so you're not having to file under a separate tax ID number. But the other thing too, because it's revocable, we call it a revocable trust, you can change those terms at any time. So once it's in the trust, it's not like it's set in stone unless you're incapacitated or deceased. It's only at that point that the terms really get set. But anytime up until then, you can change things, you can alter the terms, you could um, completely revoke it if you wanted to, you know, get rid of it for some reason. Um, so it, it's not like you're giving up a whole lot of control when you're using that revocable trust. Yeah, great. Well, what about the last two documents we talked about, which would be durable power of attorney and then healthcare directive? Sure. So um, these are documents that typically uh, are in play before you are deceased. And they're really for planning for your incapacity. So your durable power of attorney is a document that just gives someone, whether it's your spouse or you know somebody else in your family, the ability to handle your finances when you're incapacitated or when you can't handle them anymore. Um, and then the other one is sort of the same thing, but for healthcare decisions. Um, so for healthcare decisions, when, when you can't make decisions any longer, you can have somebody make your, your medical care decisions for you. And I'll add on a little piece to that is um, an, another good idea to have, whether it's in the healthcare document itself or a separate standalone document is the idea of a living will. And the reason that can be very important is because the living will actually tells your healthcare decision maker exactly what you would want to have happen if you're incapacitated so that it takes that emotional weight off of them. They know what you want. And when they do have to make certain decisions that might be a little bit more uncomfortable to make, um, they're doing so knowing what your true wishes are. So that can be an, another document that's helpful to have. Yeah, this is a conversation that could go on for like an hour and we're trying to summarize sure. it in 10 to 12 minutes. I think this document that we have and, and we'll try to link it as best we can also talks about just other things that, that take into consideration, which we, we won't talk about today, but just um, alternative designations, you know, per, the listing personal property, how to title assets. One of the big ones on here is beneficiary designations. We make that a part of our review process because I think a lot of people don't realize is, you know, I've, I've engaged with this, you know, more times than I'll, I want to admit where a client says, well, my will says this, you know, but they don't have a beneficiary on their 401k and they just assume that the will trumps everything. And, and it's not the case where a lot of people, their largest assets, their IRA or their retirement plan, and just the importance of having those beneficiary designations in place and changing them and updating them and making sure that, you know, like you said, even if it's a divorce, that there's not a, 
you know, a, an ex-spouse that's, that's still listed as beneficiary because those documents are, um, I guess, irrevocable in the sense of if you pass away and that's listed there, there's, there's nothing your beneficiaries can do about it. And I might add to just kind of an extension of that, it would be with your beneficiary designations, Usually there's a primary beneficiary listed, but a lot of times there are uh, the contingent beneficiary is missing. So, you know, if your primary person is deceased, is there somebody else that would take um, as a backup? So it's good to make sure you have both of those. Yeah, great point. One of the things that we have rolled out and we're actually going to be having a, a subsequent podcast here in the next couple of months related to this is we've, we're offering to our clients um, Baird's personal information guide, which allows a clients to have one place where they can document, you know, what their will is, who's their executor, who's their insurance agent, what's the pet's names, as many different things as you can imagine. But that's one of the issues I see when people pass away is a lot of times there's a, there's a spouse who's left, who's trying to piece together what all's there, or children are trying to piece together what their parents have. And this document helps people consolidate that. And I think we'll, we'll just expedite that process, you know, at a time where people are grieving give them a little bit more clarity to what's going on in the situation. So, um, so we're going to be talking a little bit more about that, you know, from our practice standpoint, but that personal information guide is something that we are offering to clients uh, in 2021. Well, I just want to thank you for being on here. You know, like uh, I don't think the listeners probably don't realize how thankful we are as a group to have you. One of the things Ella's group does is um, creates flowcharts. Uh, so we take a client's estate planning documents, give them to Ella, and then she creates a two to three page flowchart of what would happen if, if Joe passes away versus Sally. Uh, and that's been really helpful or even an entry conversation of just, I'm exploring estate planning for the first time. What do I need to think about? Like you mentioned guardianship. That's a big one uh, that a lot of times people aren't completely prepared for. So these are additional services that we have um, as a being associated with Bayard. So if the flowchart or another conversation, even if you're a prospect listening in, we'd be happy to engage and, and have Ella help us with that. So I'm thankful for that. And then listen up for our part two, which is coming with uh, another guest, Chris Staples, that's going to do some more advanced estate planning topics. So Ella, thanks so much for being a part of the podcast today. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcast. You may visit our website at thejprgroup.com for more information about our team or like us on Facebook. If you'd like to speak to a financial advisor on our team, please contact our office at 270-467-9664. We hope to hear from you soon. This podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any security or instrument or to participate in any particular trading strategy. The information is considered to be from reliable sources, but its accuracy is not guaranteed. The opinions expressed are those of the show's host and guest and are not necessarily those of Robert W. Baird and Company, Inc. Baird does not offer tax or legal advice. 
Securities and Investment Advisory Services are offered by Robert W. Baird and Company, Inc., a registered broker-dealer and investment advisor. Member FINRA and SIPC.